Hello, fabulous listeners. Thanks for tuning in to Old Bodies Outside. This is your host, Brian Peterson. This episode's guest is Brian Pacenti, who has been involved with endurance sports for nearly four decades. He has experienced a variety of endurance challenges, including Ironman triathlons and ultramarathons up to 240 plus miles. He coaches a variety of athletes through his business, Altitude Endurance Coaching. Brian, it's a pleasure to have you on Old Bodies Outside. Thanks so much, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, you know, we could get this conversation started. I wanted to hear about how we connected to have this episode happen. So uh, somehow we connected on social media. Um, I'm not sure if it was the podcast or your own um, social media page, but um, but somehow we crossed likes or, or thumbs up or whatever uh, the social media icons are. Um, and I saw that you had a podcast and I was like, hey, like maybe you're having issues trying to find guests and, um, and no one's really asking me to be on a podcast. So uh, I just reached out and said, hey, you're looking for podcast guests and, uh, and it sounds like it. It works out for both of us, right? Yeah, yeah. So we must be running around in some similar circles. And um, I got to say, it really, a big thank you. It's an honor that you reached out to me. Um, I always love talking to coaches and hearing about um, how they're trying to help athletes achieve their goals and whatnot. So I really appreciate that. That's really kind of you. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me again. Yeah. So where are you connecting in from? I live in uh, Glenwood Springs, Colorado. I've been um, in Glenwood Springs for uh, the last 25 years um, I've lived in this town, and uh, and I love it. Uh, probably not going to leave anytime soon. Yeah, well, looking at your pictures, it seems like you're, where you go running, the trails you run on just look fantastic. And the track, I, I think I saw something of a track where the mountains just shoot straight up right behind it. And I was like, oh my gosh, it looks like a beautiful location. It is. Glenwood is um, on the western side of the state. It's um, it's between Vail and Aspen, um, and it's a smaller community that most people haven't heard of. It's a bedroom community. We kind of service those two towns or those two valleys. Um, but um, I'm fortunate enough to live here and uh, and enjoy it. So um, yeah, what what elevation great. do you live at? Um, I live at seven thousand feet on the dot. Nice. Um, I do. My house is um, Glenwood is at 57 or 5600. So I live a little bit outside of town. Um, but yeah, I, um, I and I based my um, business name off of it, um, Altitude Endurance Coaching, because I live at 7000 feet. So it helps uh, in those big mountain objectives to uh, to live at 7000 feet. And uh, it's not too that much farther to 14 grand. So yeah, yeah. Gosh, I'm feeling a little envious with the uh tuning in from Kansas and not having nearly as many trails as you or the altitude. I probably live at like a thousand feet or so. And um, so my train and I love doing mountainous ultra marathons. And so um, it has an extra level of challenge associated with uh, training here in Kansas. But I definitely, when I train for races, I make my time out to Colorado, uh, hopefully for at least a couple weekends to try to get up to some altitude, go up to some 14ers or something. Um, and so this upcoming summer or sorry, in September, I'm running the run rabbit run ultra marathon, hundred mile ultra marathon. And oh, I've um, heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. Aren't you signed up for it? You're registered for it, right? I am registered for it. Yes. Correct. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, uh, I, to prepare for that race, I'm going to labor, I'm going to go out to, uh, Buena Vista for Labor Day weekend and do a long weekend of training. And that'll be about two weeks out before the race. And so I think that will really benefit me a lot for prepping for, Oh, the, the, Sawa, 
the Sawatch range right there, right next to BV, is just amazing. It's probably my favorite fourteen or playground. I, uh, okay. I'll, I might be up there, maybe not that weekend, but I'll be up there. I need to finish a couple um, a different objectives up there. I have Princeton to um, Oxford to do in the Nolans line wow. um, as a scouting. Um, finish up my scouting for the Nolans line. Um, so it's just Nolan's 14. Are you familiar with that one? I am. Yeah. Yeah. My gosh. Now I got my head spinning. Are you, are you <laughs> looking to go after that? Oh, I mean, I'm looking to, I don't know if uh, that, maybe that sounds aggressive, like go after it. I mean, I'm looking to, um, I'm looking to experience it. I'm, I'm looking yeah. to experience it, but I, um, I don't know if it'll be within 60 hours and I'm not sure if it's um, every year the, the racing calendar fills up pretty quickly. And so I'm not sure. Um, Oh, I haven't penciled it into a year yet, um, and I'm I'm not getting any younger. So, yeah. Well, who cares about the sixty hours, right? I think it's just fun to get yeah. out there and navigate it and get to be out in nature for a long period of time. Like that's totally that's what it's about. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, okay. So, hey, uh, speaking of races, I, I mentioned Run Rabbit Run, and um, it sounds like uh, you've heard of that race. I know that you're registered for it as I prepared for this podcast. I wanted to hear what um other races you have coming up for summer or for 2023 i have um i have four um big events um big objectives this summer uh coming up um it's a little bit of a um where i've dubbed it a redemption year um and i'll explain as i go through each one so the first one will be big horn um big horn 100 and that's in june mid-june i think it's june 17th it's father's day weekend I, i'm not uh set on the exact date, but I want to say it's June 17th. It's in Wyoming. And I think you did it, um, in 21, you just mentioned that, right? Yes, I did in 2021. Yeah. Yeah. And so I DNF that at, um, I want to say 33 or 35, just before jaws that, that really, um, brutal climb up to the turnaround. Mm-hmm. Um, I DNF right there and I want to say it was 13 or 14, 2013 or 2014. Okay. Um, and How so that's kind mud? of been like, um, the mud was pretty bad. Um, yeah. cow camp. Um, um, I was just in a funky, weird spot. I, um, I was not being safe. I tripped over a rock. I mean, I tripped over like the littlest, tiniest rock with an avocado in my hand. And I landed in this like moon dirt, like yeah. this just really fine sooty, like, uh, flower type of dirt. And the avocado like exploded on me and then the dirt stuck to me on top of that. And that was at like mile 20. And that was pretty much like telling of the rest of the afternoon. Um, so I DNF'd at uh, 33 or 35, whatever that aid station was, you might recall it was a, it was more recent for you than it was for me. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't know the name of the, the aid station, but I know which one you're talking about that is before yeah. jaws. And the reason I asked about the mud was I actually got really lucky on Bighorn mm. summer of 2021, there was no mud. It was a light winter, but I got to guess that probably the way that this winter is gone in the Rocky mountain region, that you're probably going to have another muddy race. It could be icy Yeah, <laughs> at this, at the rate that we're going right now. I'm in a snowstorm right at this very minute. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can't see, I can't see the edge of the backyard right now. So it's a, uh, yeah, we're, it's crazy. Um, we're having a great winter. It's great for the environment. Um, it's not great for trail running, um, but it's great for everything else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's all right. So that's the first piece of redemption right there. Getting after Big so June, Horn. So June, Big Horn, June is redemption. Um, and then in June, July, I'm going to URA 100. Oh, wow. Um, 
and that's huge. That has like 43,000 vertical, I want to say. And I Good. signed up for that in 21 um, while you were at Bighorn. I, um, I signed up for it in 21, but I was dealing with some plantar that year, that season. And um, about six weeks before the actual event, I backed down to the 50 miler. I completed the 50 miler um, and it was uh, 23,000 vertical and 50 miles. And it took me 19 hours. So that kind of just puts it into perspective that, I mean, it, it runs like a hundred milers, the 50. Right. I mean, Bighorn has about equivalent of that much gain over a hundred miles mm -hmm. for the 50 miler of that version. So that, that's a huge race. I've never done a race with that much vert. And so, um, so a little bit of redemption. I mean, I'm, I, I want to go back and do the hundred, which I initially signed up for, um, in 2021, but I was dealing with planner. So I'm, um, trying to go back and, uh, redeem myself there as well. Um, in August, um, be back at Leadville for the Leadville 100. It will be, um, my 10th start at Leadville. I have wow, seven kudos. finishes. I have seven finishes and two DNFs at Leadville already. Okay. Um, wow. And so I'm going for my um, eighth finish. I'm starting my 10th start. Um, and that's not a redemption. That's just um, the process of um, wanting to do um, the thousand mile buckle. Um, it's like a turkey platter. It's like bigger than my hips, I think, um, the belt buckle. <laughs> and it has your first name on it. It says Brian across the bottom. Like it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, you know what's wild is the, the buckle already, to, you know, if you get if you finish once at Leadville, the buckle's already the size of a platter. So I can't imagine what yeah. the 10 yeah. finishes it's, one is like. Yeah. Yeah, it's the whole it's the whole turkey. Like it's the yeah, whole, it's the whole turkey. So, um, so back in August, back at Leadville um, for the hundred there, and that's really close. Um, as the crow flies, it's not that far at all from my house. Um, really close. I'm off the backside of like Turquoise Lake. Um, okay. If you were to shoot an arrow at Leadville, but uh, but driving around, it takes me about an hour and twenty minutes. You uh, probably got to go up to seventy and then cut south. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, I got to go out to seventy east and then south. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And so yeah. when we were first met, but before we were recording, you told me a, a, a really great story that I, I, I immediately loved about Leadville mm. and just the way that they celebrate every runner. I was wondering if you could just share that story now that we we're recording. So Leadville, um, we were talking about uh, finishing in that last hour, that um, uh, the, the final hour of the cutoff for whatever race you're doing. And you had mentioned about um, uh, Bighorn. Um, the last hour there, but at Leadville, um, it's referred to as the golden hour and, uh, and everybody comes out. I mean, I mean, like the sidewalks are packed on sixth street for what seems like, you know, a half a mile, um, to the bottom of the hill. And there's just crews and families and just supporters, um, race fans. Um, everybody's out there on the street. Um, most of the time, uh, the top, you know, top finishers are out there as well. And they're cheering on, uh, these last hour, um, finishers in that golden hour. Leadville is a 30 hour finish. So it's 29 hours to 30 to the 30 hour mark wow. in my wow, seven that's... finishes. I've been in that golden hour, um, three times. Um, no so, way. Yeah. <laughs> nerve wracking. Yeah, it is a little nerve wracking. I'm, I'm, I'm leaning towards the front end of the, the okay. 29. I've done like 29, 17, 29, 14 and 29, 05. So I'm, okay. I'm, I still have a little padding in there, but, um, but it's getting a little tighter every year. So <laughs> case, I, I think case, you just, I've experienced say, the golden hour. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think you just like having all those people lining the the the, sh the finishing shoot, and you're like, okay, I'm just gonna wait till 2903, 2905, and come right through. Yeah. <laughs> in previous ex um, experiences, I finished in under uh, 24 hours, um, four nice. o'clock in the morning, and it's it's great. I mean, it's rewarding. I get a ton of sleep. I can eat breakfast, have coffee, show it back up for the golden hour, and see the finishers. Um, but as much as I remember that finish, those golden hour finishes are pretty special. I mean, that crowd really gets you worked up. You're just choked up. My wife and I are holding hands. My kids are on my side. My crew's walking behind me. I mean, it's a pretty powerful moment in that last hour. It's a pretty powerful moment for anybody to finish any 100. Um, but that golden hour where everyone's just cheering you on and they're, they're just raging for you, you know, to get in. And uh, you could see the runners coming in from about what seems like about a half a mile away. And, um, you know, your, your eyes on the clock and your eyes on that runner and you're hoping that there's enough time and they can make the cover the real estate to get to the finish line in time. And sometimes when there's three, four, five, six minutes left, you know, they're not going to make it. And it's just like, you just get choked up, you, you know, you get welled up and you, you, it's even hard to make contact, you know, eye contact with them. You just, you cheer for them and you're, you know, proud of them for getting in there and getting it done in three, 30 hours and 10 minutes or whatever it might be, but it is so hard and, you know, they're deflated or, you know, I mean, sometimes they're elated that, you know, they just got it done, but most of the right. time they, they didn't earn the buckle. Um, they get the finisher medal, but they don't get the buckle. Okay. Which is obviously the real glory in all of this. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> piece of hardware. Yeah. No, but I love that the community's out celebrating those athletes that, you know, are on the course for the longest. And that's something that, um, you know, as I was mentioning before we started recording, the last ultramarathon I did was Bighorn in 2021, and I returned to watch the last hour of runners finish, and it was powerful. And I was blown away and inspired by how long those athletes were on the course. Um, I felt like my accomplishment upheld in comparison because they were on the course for longer. I had gone back to my hotel, I'd taken a shower, I'd taken a nap, and we got food, and then I come back, and they're still going on the course. They've gone through a second hot afternoon and i'm like these athletes are amazing so i'm glad to see that leadville celebrating them because they deserve it yeah they really get their money's worth those athletes yeah they certainly do they certainly do and um they deserve it though they 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 are really hardcore um, then, well, uh, the last on my calendar will be uh steamboat um run rabbit run and i'll see yeah. you there in september so i got four 100s and steamboat i dnf'd um i I thought it was longer ago or farther back, but I, I guess I DNF'd it in 2017. I saw it come up in a in a memory on like a social media memory of Facebook or something just recently, and I was like, "Oh, that was only 2017 or or so." So, uh, so it was it was sooner than I had thought. But um, I DNF'd that one pretty early as well. Um, I want to say at 44 or so, um, okay. and uh, that was just all um, all in my mind. Um, my heart wasn't in it. I had a sharp pain in my knee. Um, I didn't feel that great relative to running 40 plus miles already. Um, it was a rough season and, um, and I called it and just decided that I was going to go to town and go get burgers and, and beers for the crew. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, you know, my wife's like, are you sure? Are you sure? She tried to talk me out of it. And I was like, you know, we're just done. Let's just finish this up and get out of here. So we left. We went to a restaurant and got burgers. And we're leaving the restaurant. And she's like, you know, I'm joking with my buddy or my crew guy. And we're walking to the car. And she's like, hey, you lost your limp. You don't have a limp anymore. 
And I was, so it was all in my head. I mean, hindsight's always 2020, yeah. right? But it was yeah. all in my head. It had, it, it, um, I mean, it, it was probably a, a you know, a, a bad pain, but I was focused on it. I was drawing attention to it. And I was really just kind of like digging in that this was the issue. This is, this is going to keep me from finishing as, a, as opposed to trying to get through the process and finishing, um, run rabbit run, um, that year. So this year I'll be back for a redemption. So, uh, so re three redemption races in Leadville, um, four 100 milers. They're all about five weeks apart from each other. Um, so okay. it should be pretty interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've, um, the most ultra, ult, the most hundred mile ultra marathons I've tried to take on in a single year is two. Um, uh, <laughs> and so <laughs> you got a good challenge with you, but I've heard that, um, and I don't know if you've heard differently, this is honestly a question, but, and this is also going to help my preparation for run rabbit run, but I've heard the run rabbit run course, um, uh, is comparable to the Bighorn course. Um, I, I, I bet it is. I don't know enough about the Bighorn course. I only ran 35 miles of it or 32 miles of it or whatever it is. I didn't do the backside of jaws or whatever that, um, uh, that bigger climb that everyone, uh, you know, uh, talks about and, and boasts up. Um, so I don't have experience with that. Um, it, I mean, it just goes up and down, up and down, up and down. Um, like yeah. any Colorado mountain course does. Um, it, it has a varied, uh, a varied, um, amount of terrain. Um, you know, you'd be up way up high in the pines on one side of town and you come through town and you cross to the other side and it's really, um, kind of like sagebrushy and almost sandy of sorts or like, uh, okay. you know, it, it's just kind of a different, um, high mountain feel than the other side of town when you're high up in the pine. So, um, so you kind of experience like it all at steamboat. I feel like it's, a, you know, you, you get a lot of terrain, um, experiences out there. Yeah. Well, that sounds great just to keep things kind of mentally engaged as the race, um, progresses. And one of the things that I really struggle with a lot with ultra marathons is living in Kansas. I don't get downhill training in. Um, mm -hmm. and so Bighorn has, um, a lot of downhill from about maybe mile 82 to the finish. Um, mm -hmm. and gosh, and that's, you know, late in the race, your quads are shot. Uh, I really struggled with that part of Bighorn just because of, I lack downhill training. Uh, but I think that people that have good downhill training should be able to finish pretty strongly at Bighorn. That's good advice. Thanks. So now that we've talked about, you know, our races and whatnot, I want to hear about your coaching services and, you know, what types of athletes do you work with and where can listeners find more information if they are interested in your coaching services? Um, I coach, um, I own a business called Altitude Endurance Coaching. Um, I started it in 2018 um, on advice from my wife. Um, I was uh, coaching a handful of local athletes for um, different um events. And, uh, she said, you know, you should probably, you know, charge some money for this and, and kind of start the side hustle and see how it goes. And, uh, and it really was a side hustle. I had a full-time job. Um, I worked for town government at the time, um, in recreation. Um, and, and it's kind of, um, grown and expanded and grown and expanded and ebbed and flowed. And then just recently in January, um, pretty much all of this year so far, 2023, um, I've gone full-time coaching. Um, so this, this side gig, this, um, this side hobby, um, has come, come like complete fruition and is like, you know, paying the bills and I'm making money and I got all the apps and the tools and all the processes in there. Um, I train it mostly on uh, training peaks platform. It's a, um, it's a, it's a coaching app 
um, for athletes. It's like, it's like your Strava, but maybe on steroids is how I usually try to um, describe training peaks. Um, okay. It just gives yeah, a lot more. Um, yeah. It gives a lot more um, metrics as far as like just way more in depth than like a, than a Strava. Most people are familiar with Strava. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this is way more in depth than Strava. Um, just, just on, just Strava on steroids. Um, and I coach um, all sorts of athletes. I coach um, obviously ultra athletes. I coach marathoners, road runners. Um, I also uh, coach tactical athletes um, for like military special forces or just military enlistment. Um, both sides of that house. Nice, nice. Uh, well, that that sounds super fantastic. And, uh, you know, being a coach, there's so much to it. I think people just think that, you know, it's training plans and whatnot, but there's also the mental component and balancing training with um, the life obligations that are going on. And so how do you go about, um, like, kind of doing a holistic approach and being able to fit those training programs into people's busy lives? That's a great question. And, um, it, you know, I, I live it. Um, and I think that helps. Um, I have two daughters of my own, uh, middle schooler, elementary schooler. Uh, my wife works full time at the hospital here locally. Um, and I've just recently just started working from home. Um, but you know, I had a full time in-person job outside of the house prior to that. Um, and so, um, I get the struggles. And so coaching athletes that, you know, I understand that we all have, we're, we're not professional athletes. I don't have any professional athletes on my roster. Um, we're not making money at this. We're just doing it as a hobby for fun to keep ourselves happy, um, healthy and, um, and find enjoyment in being outside, um, and moving. And so I, you know, I try to encourage that at a minimum. Um, and I think there's, um, just a real component to be, um, as a coach, to being compassionate. I, I think athletes start to figure me out as we start to work together as well as I figure them out. Um, but there's a lot of, um, I mean, it's a relationship. Um, I'm zooming with them probably, you know, once to twice a month. We're talking through emails, through text messages, um, all sorts of platforms and formats. They're asking questions about the workout. I'm trying to give them the parameters. Um, you know, uh, the, the car needs to, you know, to get the oil changed in it. And so I'm like, Hey, drive to the oil place and go run for 45 minutes while they're changing your oil. You know, like just trying to give that advice of like how to squeeze it in there, how to squeeze every ounce out of, out of the training process and, and find those little gaps instead of just sitting there and playing on your phone at the, at the oil changing facility, you know, get out there and do the little run at that time or, or wake up a little bit earlier or, if you can't get it in, it's okay. You know, again, we're not professional athletes and, um, and we'll get after it tomorrow. It's a, uh, it's not the end of the world. Again, it's gotta be fun and, uh, engaging. And, uh, and I think that's kind of where I come from in, in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Uh, and, and the two parts that you, you addressed there, one is, you know, fitting it in with a busy lifestyle is, is something that I think a lot of listeners relate to. Um, and that's, you know, how it goes when you got to fit, especially if you have a family, you know, you're trying to squeeze in when you can. Sometimes it's early morning or a lunch break or something like that. But then also, like, yeah, you're trying to make that training program work, but this is play. You know, like running is play. And so I think that component should never be forgot about. Like, we're out there having fun. We're out there, um, you know, getting all the benefits of doing a trail race. And for me, doing an ultra marathon is, is some of my proudest moments. Um, there's definitely moments in my life that are, I'm more proud of, but every time I've finished uh, across the finish line, it's, it's like a self pat on the back and 
life kind of feels a little more rosy again. And it's, it has a wonderful effect on me psychologically. Definitely. Yeah. And I see it in myself. Um, and from the coaching perspective, I'm, I'm like rooting for you as my athlete, I'm rooting for everybody, but I'm rooting for you as my athlete. And so I, I get that joy from when you're, I'm, I'm watching your race. If it's got the tracker, I'm watching your race on the weekends. My kids are like, what are you doing on your phone, dad? And I'm like, Oh, I'm tracking two athletes. And there are two different races in two different parts of the country. And, and, you know, I'm like, I'm checking in on them to see how they're doing. And I'm excited for them. And, uh, you know, to, to see them through the process is, um, is a, a great experience from the coach point of view. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's awesome that you're, and thanks to modern technology too, you know, you're able to, you know, coach people that live in a variety of places. You're able to track them if you're not able to make the race and whatnot. And so that sounds, that sounds just so much fun. Um, I also want to hear about, do you do some high school coaching too? I do. So I just recently got back into uh, coaching high school. Um, I coach, I'm coaching high school track currently. Uh, we're in the middle of the season right now. Um, we'll see how today goes. It's, it's probably dumped like four inches at my house uh, since wow. this morning. Um, but, um, and we did shovel the track um, earlier in the season to try to um, run some uh, laps on it um, in March. Um, so, and I have a previous experience of coaching high school track or cross country um, specifically. And that was um, before I had um, kids. Um, I kind of took a, a hiatus um, for the last 10 years or so. Um, but I coached cross country for four seasons, um, high school cross country, um, again, in the same town that I live in, Columbus Springs. And um, it was really rewarding. Um, I mean, all of it's rewarding, um, but I enjoyed the four-year process because I saw a class come in and saw them all the way to graduation. Um, so right. I kind of connected with a group that, you know, worked their way through the high school process. Um, and now I'm coaching distance with track and helping out. I'm learning a lot about uh, things I've never known before about like, uh, uh, what did I just coach this past weekend was, um, oh, the pole vault. I have no idea anything about the pole vault. Whoa, I was being yeah. a, I was being like a parent supporter more than anything. I was just like, yeah, yeah you guys are doing great. You know, but I was, I was there for them to support them, but I, I don't know anything about the pole vault enough to give advice on how to get over the stick. You know, like, I don't know how to do that. So <laughs> yeah. And, and pole vault, man, it's gosh, a lot of technique. I think people like there's, there's the guts <laughs> factor, you know, you're going to fling yourself super high in the air, but there's also the technique factor. And um, I ran track in, in high school, but um, A, I never had the guts to do the pole vault <laughs> and B, like I, I was too focused on running my distance races to ever get coaching on the technique aspect of it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, lo I long jumped and it was a, I mean, I, it was a really weak attempt at long jumping, um, but yeah. I ran distance. Yeah. I was the distance kid. So. Yeah. You got me thinking about coaching though. That sounds so fantastic to be able to work with you know, freshmen seeing through the four-year process, and there's so much development in those four years. I mean, it's really informative years, a lot of development, um, a lot of education to be had too, and a lot of great connections. And what a wonderful thing! Like that, got, I would, I would love to get involved with high school coaching. That just sounds really gratifying. Yeah, and I just recently took the USATF um, certification course for level one coaching. Um, so it's USA Track and Field. Um, I just thought I know a lot about distance, or I think I do, but maybe there's a different, uh, there may, there's something I could learn or something I missed in distance, but also I learned about the pole vault and the shot put and the discus and the hammer throw. I was like, we're still doing the hammer throw. I didn't even know that was a thing still. Like I thought that was like, <laughs> like, like medieval times or something. I mean, I guess I seen it in the Olympics at that level, but I didn't know we were doing it. Like, um, we're not doing it locally, but, but it's in the curriculum. And so I learned a lot about it. So it was cool. Uh, it's yeah. Different. It's kind of like, 
there's always something to learn about running. And, um, you know, with taking that certification, that's another, some more stuff that you learn. The learning process never ends. And so what, what, what did that level one mean? What does that mean? Um, it's, it was kind of like, uh, the base level. I mean, obviously level one's base level. Um, I could go on a two and do more of a specific, um, which I probably will for cross country, um, and distance or endurance is really what they call it. Um, and so I'll probably do those more specific courses, uh, related to what I'm coaching. Um, but level one was, uh, pretty much a, a, um, a good overview of all the disciplines in track and field that are offered um, at all levels as well. So um, this summer, I'll be coaching um, my daughters, um, both of my daughters, um, eighth grade and below, like a junior's track program in the summer. So six nice. weeks in the summer, we'll go to the track Monday through Thursday, 9 to 11 a.m., and we'll just get them running laps. They'll get into some starting blocks, figure it out if they like the long jump or if they like to throw the shot put, and just kind of get a feel for it. And it's 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 been in this community for about 40, 45 years or so. Um, and it's a great feeder program for the high school and uh, junior high levels. So these kids um, potentially get an understanding of what they want to do by the time they get to high school, um, as far as like track and field goes. Um, so they have an understanding. So they're not so lost. I mean, we get some kids that come in and try everything and then figure out their way. But if we could start that process in elementary and uh, middle school levels, then we've done half the work by the time they get to high school. Okay. Like you want to be the distance kid. You want to run, you figured out your, got some, uh, you know, uh, momentum with it. And, and so let's go with it, you know? And so we kind of figured that out in the process of doing this junior program. So it's great. Yeah, no, it sounds like a, a wonderful theater program. And, um, I think, you know, a, your job just sounds amazing to go hang out with your, your kids this summer, run some track with them, go, go be healthy together. Um, uh, but I was thinking, you know, as you were talking about coaching more and more, and I was thinking back to my experiences when I ran in high school and it never dawned on me until you talked about the level one certification, my high school coach coached everything. I mean, he was, he had a background in, in uh, the 800 meters and, but he's sitting here mm -hmm. coaching sprints. He's coaching long distances. He's coaching, you know, long jump, um, high jump, pole vault, everything. And so he, and it never dawned on me that he probably didn't know how to do every event. He didn't compete in every event, but he had to mm -hmm. learn it uh, to be able to teach it to the high school students. And I think that's something that I just never realized until you started talking about your level one certification. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It was a good course and I enjoyed it. It was, you know, um, like most things, it was on Zoom, but it was like, I wouldn't say it was crammed, but it was like a whole weekend. It was like all night Friday, all day Saturday, like 10 hours and all day Sunday for like 10 hours. So it was a bit much to be on Zoom that much. Wow. Um, but they kept my attention because the things I didn't, the, the events I didn't know about were on Sunday. So I was really kind of focused on Sunday. I was learning about the javelin and the discus. And, uh, you know, I was like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, like I never knew how to throw a javelin. I mean, I just figured you yeah. threw it like a stick or something like, you know, like, you know, but there's a, a huge technique to it apparently. And, uh, and I learned yeah. a lot about it. So it was good. Gosh, this is so fantastic to hear about all these different, I mean, we're just, we're, we're even, we're hitting the top of the iceberg here, but there's so many different ways to learn about running track and field cross country, so many different facets to it. And this is, it's really inspiring to hear all this. I never thought about uh, these aspects, as I mentioned before, reflecting back on my high school coach. You talked about it in the bio, but um, you mentioned that I've been in, um, in the endurance sports world for 40 years or so. And I got my start in middle school 
Um, I ran the mile and the two mile and I ran the 5k for cross country. Um, and so that's the other reason, the other basis for coaching. Of course, I have my own kids in the program and all those things, but, um, but it's really where I found my roots. I'm still running 40 plus years later, um, from those experiences. So I want to share that with people, you know, whether it's on this platform online or even at the, just the local middle school level and, uh, and, you know, contribute to the community here locally, as well as, um, globally on my, um, on my website and my platform. Yeah, Brian, I think that's a really wonderful point to make is when you have a good leader who's shown you these healthy life habits, um, it's something that can be carried on through the rest of your life, just like both you and I do do as adults, you know, we still run and whatnot. And that's largely a product as I had, you know, a really caring, fun coach. Um, He brought a lot of love and kindness to every athlete and supported them kind of uniquely to match their personality. And um, I think that just happy time during those formative years, you know, has kept me inspired to keep running foundational in my life. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to hear about how, you know, I just mentioned running being foundational in my life and it's something that I've turned to when there's been challenging times. Um, It's something that I turn to if say sometimes like I'll get like a, a, an email that I'm not sure how I want to respond to. I might save it till post run. Um, and maybe think about during running. Um, if I'm feeling tense about something, I might go for a run to be in a better mode to make rational decisions versus just quick emotional decisions. And so I want to hear how running's been foundational throughout your life. I mean, just like you, Brian, the same things. Um, I have been a lifelong runner and I want to be a lifelong runner. I want to be running in, until you know, I, even farther than when the doctor says I shouldn't be running, I, you know, I still want to be running. Um, yeah. and, and so I think that's the main goal. I have these events this year and I, you know, I have some ideas for next year, but in general, I want to be a lifelong runner and I want to share that with everyone I can. Um, running, um, is such a part of my life. Um, it's, it's probably like the most stable building block that I have in my life. Um, it's been in my life, uh, you know, longer than my wife and my kids. Um, I ran, um, I ran the day that one of my best friends died. I ran on my wedding day. Um, I ran on the day, uh, my first marriage, my divorce went through. Um, I can, I mean, I just know I ran on all those days. I know I did. I mean, I, I remember most of them, um, but I know I did. And the same thing, um, if I'm feeling frustrated, I need to go for a run. If, uh, if I'm about to, you know, fire off, a um, a not so nice email, I need to probably need to go for a run and kind of just wait it out for a minute, think through the process. Um, and even other things like, um, business strategy or just coaching in general, like how can I connect with this athlete better? Um, let me go for a run and think about it, you know? And so, uh, running and, and or exercise. Um, cause I do, um, I do have a snowstorm here. Um, and so some days I bike, um, if I, if I need to, but, um, but otherwise I'm running, um, and trying to figure those things out. So it's been instrumental in all the things um, that I do in my life. And it's um, been this long-standing uh, go-to. Um, it's it's just a foundational building block of everything I have. Yeah, Brian, gosh, we have a lot in common. I also went running the morning of my wedding. <laughs> and I got married uh, this past August, actually. I got married this past oh, August. Oh, congrats. Uh, thank you. appreciate it. And uh, we got married outside of Silverton. Um, and oh. we got married... Um, at I don't know if you're familiar with the hard rock course at all. Um, a little bit. A little bit. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you're saying that sarcastically. It is total sarcastic. <laughs> okay. So 
in Silverton, if you were to head deeper into the canyon, it turns into a dirt road, and there's a campground called the Eureka Campground. Um, they also have mm-hmm. a lodge there. It's in, and the lodge was an old miners' hotel, and they re restored it uh and we ended up getting married there and it was just a fantastic fantastic location the mountains kind of come down like that and we're framed by the mountains got married right here um so we 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 actually did two things so we did that on a a saturday and we did that with our family and our close friends and did a, a celebration socially but we also wanted to do a celebration privately and so what we did for that was we got up the thursday before so we got married on a saturday thursday before we got up about 4 a.m. and we hiked up together to Island Lake and did a private oh, exchange yeah. of vows. Yeah, so I got kind of awesome. married in two places. Yeah, so nice. uh, and I'm really when, excited. Go for it. You go. You're this excited. summer, um, I'm uh, I got invited and uh, it's just so cool to uh, help one of my buddies finish up Hard Rock last 18 miles and uh, it, it's it's such a, a cool thing when someone you know approaches you and asks you to pace them and crew them at a race. It's such an honor and. Uh, for that part, we're going to be going by Island Lake. Um, and so I didn't know if it was which direction. It, it depends yep. on which direction. I didn't know. And so uh, where I was going to say, I, I, where I was um, almost going to cut you off, is um, I picked up, I, um, I course swept um, the flagging for the last 18 miles from Telluride to Silverton and came over the top and looked down into Island Lake. Um, and I don't know what year that was. I want to say... Um, it was a long time ago. It was probably 13 or 12 or 13, 2012 okay. or 2013. And one of the years, um, the year prior, I was second on the wait list for Hard Rock. I've never run Hard Rock, um, but I got to second on the wait list at the starting line. Um, I did not show up, um, but I did not get picked either. Um, so it was wow, a good decision not to show second. up. So, Yeah. So, Brian, yeah. I'm like... 25th to 30th on the wait list this summer and it's, it's not even a consideration in my head I, and I'm, I'm happy that i'm that deep on the wait list versus being like on the cusp i'd be like should i train yeah. should i not because hard rock's just i've been trying to get into hard rock since 2013 or 2014 um mm-hmm. and it's something that um but my, my tickets are accumulating and hopefully next summer i get pulled um but anyways going back to island lake my um as i'm gonna be pacing my buddy Towards the finish line, my wife and my son are going to be waiting at Island Lake and cheer for us awesome. there. I'll be able to give her a quick kiss and a hug um, and enjoy a quick moment together where we exchanged our private it, vows. It might be a couple minutes if your buddy's at mile uh, 78 yeah. or whatever that might be. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a couple minutes for sure. They're just I think they're going to just hike up from the trailhead um, yeah. and hang out there and enjoy the just stunning scenery that's there. Yeah. Um, okay, that's so awesome. Brian – before we, we finish up our recording today, because uh, I know you got to head out to track practice, uh, I wanted to hear about what do you have um, to say to athletes who are considering entering into endurance events? And, you know, they might be someone that is like, hey, like, I'm thinking about this, but it just looks so intimidating. It looks scary. Like, how, what would you say to those types of athletes? Um, I, you know, I usually maybe have a softer approach, but um, I think for a lieu of this conversation, I mean, like, I'm going to encourage you to do it. Um, get out there, um, put yourself out there, um, make yourself vulnerable, challenge yourself. I mean, all those things come to mind. Um, you know, you're, um, there'll come a day where you regret that you didn't do it and you won't be able to do it then, um, you know, later on in life. And, uh, and so I think I've, uh, I, <laughs> In both good and bad experiences, I've I've led a life of of just doing things and then um, 
and with great outcomes at the, inevitably at the end, uh, great outcomes. Um, but I would say, you know, there's so much research out there again, to go back to technology. I mean, like sign up for the event, first off, get your name in the hat, get that dangly carrot out there. Um, so you have something to shoot for a trajectory and then start to figure out the processes of getting there. Right. So what seems like an insurmountable amount of training and, or the event itself, um, a uh, friend of mine, uh, um, Reed, uh, Gemini Reed from uh, uh, Gemini Adventures, he's the race director. He um, he talks about eating an elephant and, uh, you know, and he, he stumped me. I don't know why. I was not thinking outside of the box. And he was like, how do you eat an elephant? And I just got stumped. I was, I, I'm like, I don't know. I've never had elephant. I'm not really sure. But he's like, you eat it one bite at a time. And so that's the analogy I use um, after he told me that. Um, quite a, quite often I use that analogy um, that you, you got to take small chunks of it and just chop at it in little bits, put it in um, bite-sized pieces um, to eat this elephant, to get to that starting line um, with the training that you need to get there. Um, you know, of course I'm a coach, so I, I'd love for you to hire a coach uh, for the process, but there's also like training plans online. Um, there's books and um there's books and YouTube videos on how to coach yourself um, and all those things as well. So, um, you know, whatever means you need to get there, um, get yourself to the starting line healthy and um, fit. Um, and then think of the event in the same manner as well. Um, eight station to eight station, maybe mile to mile. Um, you know, I mean, it, it might be just a moment to moment. Um, you know, it's really, if you break it into these um, micro manageable sections, it seems way less daunting than the whole big picture at one big, um, one big challenge. Um, you know, it just seems like you can get there a little bit easier by taking these steps to get yourself there. Yeah. And I think that wonderfully explains the metaphor of how you eat an elephant, you know, <laughs> bite-sized chunks, digest them one at a time. And, you know, like you said, whether it's mile by mile or aid station by aid station, whatever your digestible chunk is, that's, that's the approach. I mean, I got to say when I, I've done, I've completed not nearly as many hundred mile races as you have completed six, but at the start line of each of those, you would think that, you know, I've gained some confidence and maybe I have, maybe I haven't, but I'm always nervous. I'm always anxious at the start line. And I have to repeat that stuff to myself. I have to say, Hey, look, don't focus on the, the, you know, that you're doing hundred miles today, focus on getting to the first aid station, take it with that and then go to the next aid station and then go to the next aid station. When I was coaching cross country back in the day, we'd get to these bigger meets, these regional meets, these big invitationals or even state, um, for the handful of kids that made it to state uh, from our school. Um, and you could see it when the bus would stop it, their the blood would just flush out of their face and they just kind of look like, Whoa, this is going to be, you know, this is a bit much. You could just tell they were nervous energy and all this stuff. And I always try to just tell them and, and my athletes, the same thing that you had mentioned that you, you get to a starting line and you're nervous still after 600, um, having completed 600 milers, um, is that everyone else on that line, um, is equally as nervous. Um, and, and so it's not just you, you know, like if you, if you're like, Oh, like everyone's feeling this nervous energy, like it's just buzzing around like, cause you, you just internalize it as just being yourself. Um, but really everyone on that line is nervous. They're all kicking their feet and doing the weird thing or that weird stretch they're doing just to kind of, you know, pretend like they're not nervous, but everyone's just as nervous on the line. And if you're not nervous, 
there's probably a reason, and uh, I don't know if it's the best reason. Usually, I think of the times I've DNF'd races, and it's probably the times I've not been nervous at the starting line, or um, just maybe overconfident, or kind of like maybe not into it. Um, but I think a good nervousness is um, is an awesome start to a race. I mean, I think respecting the distance of whatever distance you're doing, whether it's the 5K or the 100 miler, um, having that good, um, you know, uh, nervous um, energy about the distance itself that you're trying to cover um, or your goals, whether it's the 5k and you're trying to, you know, break 18 minutes or whatever it might be. Yeah, um, no, I think I, those are great ways to get to the starting line. Yeah, I, I agree about that. And I think that that nervousness is reflective of um, a level of like, you know, there's, there's respect for the course respect. That's what's going to be happening. And if that respect isn't there, um, there's the, greater possibility of overlooking some of the details that are going to be happening with your body during the race, especially ultra marathons where managing the body is so important to get to the finish line. But if there's a, there's, you know, a little bit of lack of humility, you might miss some of those details of the physiological aspects of your body and mismanage yourself. And then you might be in a really deep hole that you may not be able to get out of. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Brian, I think you have about, what, about 13 minutes to get to track practice or so? Yeah, I'll get there. It'll be fine. Okay. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. I wanted to connect back to the start of the episode and just say thanks again for reaching out to Old Bodies Outside. I'm glad that we um, kind of fell in the same social media circles, and I, I see why we did. <laughs> and I just want to say thanks again for uh, reaching out to be on Old Bodies Outside really just awesome to have you on here. I love hearing about coaches and their approaches to athletes. And uh, furthermore, it's great to make another friend in the ultra running community. And I look forward to meeting you in person at uh, Run Rabbit Run. And in the meantime, good luck with your summer of redemption. Summer of redemption. I appreciate it, Brian. Thanks for your time. Okay, I'm gonna throw in that outro music. And we'll call it an episode. Great, thanks.